Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I see a lot of red out there today. I wonder why. Um, my name is Dustin. I'm the worship pastor around here. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're joining in online, I'm glad that you're joining in as well. Uh, pastor Kent, our lead pastor, is not here because he couldn't stand one more Sunday of having to deal with Chiefs fans wearing their gear to the... Uh, but so, right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and so if he were here today, you would hear wah, 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 Broncos, wah, 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 wah. And who really needed more of that? But I'm glad that you are here today. If you're joining in online, especially if you're just checking things out, so glad that you're joining in. I know we have several in our community and our, in our church family that are sick, my wife included. So if you're watching Dear, get better, but stay away from me until you are. Um, but we have been in this message series uh, called The Intentional Year. It's based on a book by Holly and Glenn Packiam. And in this message series, we've been looking at different rhythms or habits that we can build into our lives to help us produce the kind of life of peace and of purpose that we desire to have. Now, I love that they use the word rhythms in this. So often when we get to the beginning of the year, we think in terms of goals and resolutions, right? And there's nothing wrong with goals and resolutions, but they're a lot more about what we're going to do, whereas the rhythms and habits we build are forming who we are becoming. And we serve a God who's far more interested in who you and I are becoming than the things that we're accomplishing. It's not that they don't matter, but he wants to know who we're becoming. And so we have these rhythms. And I know Glenn, like myself, is a musician. And so rhythm means a lot to me. Uh, when he's using it as far as habits, we're thinking of those, those repetitive practices, those repetitive actions that we take. And when I think of rhythm, I think, well, we just got done having a drummer, a bass guitar player, an acoustic guitar player, keyboard player, voices, and all of your voices, and we were all using rhythm. Every one of us. And the challenge of rhythm together is that you can have rhythms that are just all like, they, they aren't working together. Like the kick drum and the bass guitar player have to know what they're doing. The keyboard player and the acoustic player, they can't be all over each other. What I mean by that is this. You've been at the stoplight. You're listening to your music. It's lovely, wonderful day. And then the person pulls up behind you who seems to think that all of Reno County needs to hear their music. If you can call it music, I can do the old guy person, yeah. And you've got your music playing and their music playing, and it's just this jumble of rhythms and stuff. It's just irritating. Our lives can get that way too. See, we, we tend to live our lives. We, a lot of times we try to segment things. I have my work life. I have my home life. I have my, my, my hobbies. I have, I have all these different things, and we, we leave them separated. And we have different rhythms that we're engaging in with those, but those rhythms are not working well together. And so what we want is this integrated life where those rhythms of life, they're working together and all five spheres that we're talking about in this, this series are all working together, a cohesive life. See, we've been talking about prayer and rest and renewal. Today, we're gonna to talk about relationships and next week, it'll be work. And as we talk about these, they're not these abstract things here and there out like away from each other. They, we want them to be integrated. We wanna have an integrated life where the rhythms of life are all pointing in the direction of Jesus. They're all pointing us in that direction of the, the hope and the peace and the purpose that we want to have in our life with him. Interestingly enough, as we're working on Thursday nights with the worship team and our rhythms, a lot of times it's not about adding more rhythm to it. It's usually about doing less. And I think the good news for us is that's usually the way it works in our lives too. That it's not about adding more because heaven knows you don't need more to do, right? 
You have enough to do. We don't need more to do. But what we need to do is be intentional about the rhythms that we do have so that we can have that, that life that is integrated, that life that is working together. Well, today we are looking at intentional rhythms in meaningful relationships, developing meaningful relationships. And to do that, I want to take you back to the Stone Age of cellular communication back in the fall of 2006. And some of you think, well, that wasn't that long ago. If a child was born in 2006, they are 17 or 18 years old right now. We are getting older than you think. All right. In 2006, we did not have iPhones. We did not have, I'm not sure we even had Android yet. We truly were. If your friends, if your friends were really your friends, they knew to not call until after 9 p.m. or on the weekends, right? Right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You think it's a foreign language. We used to have a finite number of minutes to use, especially during the day. And if you had a different carrier than your friends, sometimes the minutes counted differently. And if you called a landline, it was even weirder. And if it was a text message, whoo, those puppies were like 10 cents a piece. Please do not text me. Number one, I can't afford it. Number two, who really wants to go? Five, 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 two, five, one, five, six, five, foo, just to say hello. Really? You remember that? Does anybody remember that? Yes, thank you. Thank you. And then T-Mobile had a brilliant idea. There is a point to all this. T-Mobile came up with a campaign called My Faves. And they had this, this commercial campaign that was great. It had Charles Barkley and some other things. And it was all about, are you and my fave, my five? And, and so your entire operating system of your phone was five bubbles with a person's name, a picture on it. And you could pick five people that you could call at any time for the low price of $39.99 a month. I've never paid that for my cell phone. So I did not have this feature. But I remember watching the commercials. Who's in your five? And they were hilarious commercials. But I remember wondering, if I, if I didn't include my, my family, do I have five people I call? Like, do I have five friends? Does anybody else resonate with that? Like, do I even have five friends? Like, I, am, I know you see me up here and it's like, I can't shut up. I am an introvert. And I tend to be pretty quiet until I'm not and pretty socially awkward. And I would not consider myself to have just this multitude of friends. I have a lot of, a lot of people that I would consider to be like kind of peripheral friends, but those real close friendships, I'm not sure I have five. Well, the good news is if you are like me, you are in the majority of Americans. Harvard did a study and found that 8% of Americans say they have no friends. That's, that's heartbreaking. 8% believe they have no friends. 53% say they have between one and four close friends. A majority of Americans have between one and four really close friends. And sometimes we see people like my middle daughter, Penny. She was having a birthday party. They were going to watch a movie in the basement. And she, she wanted to invite like 35, 40 people to this party. And I'm like, whose child are you? And I feel bad about myself because I'm like, I think I'd invite two. <laughs> if you find yourself in that position, you're in the majority of Americans. If you have more than five, awesome. That's great. We know that friends and friendships are important, but we also know that loneliness is a challenge right now too. Pew Research did a study that said 36% of Americans say they are dealing with severe loneliness, serious loneliness. And that may not sound like, like too much because it's a little over one in three, but 61% of young adults 
I mean, remember, this is a generation that, that had to go through a pandemic during their most formative years. And, and for all the, the good side of social media, that friends have taken on a different kind of meaning when it's thumb to thumb and not face to face. 61%. 51%, this one did not surprise me. 51% of moms with young children are dealing with serious loneliness. Because it's hard. It's busy. Life is crazy. And I think so often that's really what happens with our friendships and our relationships in general, isn't it? Life just happens. I mean, how many times have, have I had a situation where, where I, I'm feeling alone? I'm going, I don't have anybody to reach out to. When in reality, as I was thinking this week, I can think of at least four guys that, that I know I could call at any moment. But I haven't reached out to them in a while. I haven't talked to them in a while and I really need a friend, but I'm embarrassed because I haven't reached out to them in a while. And so I feel like I'm alone. Maybe you can relate to that. They haven't reached out to you either, but that's beside the point. Because life gets busy. Life happens. And, and I believe that more often than not, if you would reach out to them, they're gonna be glad to hear from you and you guys can reconnect and they can, you can support each other. But we have to be intentional. It requires an intentionality. We see relationships throughout scripture uh, from cover to cover. And we find them in, even in Genesis. In the Bible, in Genesis 1, we have this beautiful rhythm of creation. God created and it was good. God created and it was good. God created man and it was very good. But it doesn't take long. Just the next chapter. Genesis 2, verse 18, that tells us the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good to be alone. This is in creation before the fall. This is before Adam and Eve have sinned. This is in God's perfect creation. Can you comprehend that there was something God said is not good? And it was loneliness. You were created for relationship. And oftentimes we read this and we see only just the, the marriage relationship. And that is absolutely there. But this is a bigger picture. It's not just about a marriage relationship. We were created to live in relationship. We see in Genesis 3, God walking through the garden. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This implies that this was normal. That God would walk through the garden and doing, and doing life with, con conversation with, in relationship with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? That we were created at the very beginning to be in relationship. And I don't know, maybe it's our, our kind of rugged American mindset. Sometimes we just, well, I don't need anybody. I'm on my own. I don't need any friends. Maybe you resonate with the guy that we were following in Oklahoma on Friday with his goose in the back of his truck. Dead serious. That goose is in the cab of the truck. It is very much alive. Uh, first of all, I've never met a goose that wasn't trying to kill me. So I'm shocked that it was, it was okay. But may, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, and he was having conversations with his goose. And maybe he's like, I don't need anybody. I got my goose. I'm good. Thank you very much. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it's just as ridiculous for us to say that we don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. Yeah, we do. We were created for relationships. And so just like God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the question that I want us to ask today is, who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Because who you walk with makes a difference. 
I know sometimes it's been said that you are the, the average of the five people you hang out with the most. I don't believe that for a second. Humans are much more nuanced than that. But you are influenced by the people you're around. Those coworkers, are they lifting you up or are they bringing you down? They can affect your attitude, your friends, your, your acquaintances, your family, our lives, our faith, our outlook on life. All of these things are very much influenced by the people we're around. So it's important that we ask the question, who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Now, I wish I could give you a Bible passage that is six verses that gives us an outline of how to have meaningful relationships. I can't find that. But what I did find is from cover to cover, we find relationship principles and ideas that we can put into practice, in particular in the Proverbs. And so we're going to look at that. But I want to give you three kind of big picture ideas, and we'll break these down, that can help us as we try to cultivate meaningful relationships. Because who we are walking with matters. The first thing, we need to walk with intention. To walk with intention, to be intentional. We talk a lot about being proactive rather than reactive. I think that's maybe it's a conversation in leadership a lot. We don't want to, we want to anticipate rather than react. It doesn't work in relationships, does it? Well, I'm going to meet with this person this week and then this person this week and this person next week. It doesn't work because life is far more nuanced. What happens when you have a new neighbor move in? What happens when you have a friend in crisis? What, what happens? And so it's not about being proactive rather than reactive. It's about being intentional. Intentional about the kinds of relationships and the people we're in relationship with. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Does not walk in step with the wicked. Which implies that we can walk in step with the wise and become wise. So we need to walk with intention. And in in Proverbs, I I was mentioning that we can see all kinds of uh, principles and ideas. I can see multiple types of relationships that we need to have in the Proverbs. But I want to highlight three in particular that I think stick out for me this morning because we need more than just one voice in our lives. We We need relationships with people who do certain things in our lives. The first of those being, and you can see, follow along in your notes, is people who make you better. I pull this from Proverbs thirteen twenty: Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Who is the person in your life who just makes you better? It doesn't necessarily have to be even a close friend, but somebody who makes you better. They call out God's purpose. They see more in you than sometimes you see in yourself. I think of mentors when I think of this. And sometimes we complicate this idea of mentoring. We make it this like formal thing. We're going to sit down for an hour and a half on Tuesday afternoons and I'm going to mentor you. Those are great. I've had those mentors. But can I tell you that it is also very meaningful and impactful to have those relationships where it's just somebody taking an interest in you and making you better. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of... uh, my wife Kelly and I had been married for one year when we moved from Lawrence, Kansas, where she had lived her entire life, to Tinley Park, Illinois. And we were part of a church there. And while we were there, there, I don't think in our two years there, we ate lunch on a Sunday afternoon at home very often because of two couples. One was Ed and Hope. 
Ed and Hope were in their 90s and we would go to Applebee's. He would order the same thing every single time. And we'd just sit there and have conversation. We'd hear their stories of life and they'd hear a little bit more about us. We didn't even have, uh, Maisie, our oldest daughter wasn't born yet. It was just the four of us. And we would just sit and listen. We learned from Ed and Hope how to age with joy and a grace. I think they just felt sorry for us because they, we had moved all the way there, but they invested in us and made us better. The other two that I can think of are Jay and Marcy. Jay was our lead pastor at the time and, and his kids were about the same age my kids are now. And we would go over to their house. They were from Minnesota. So we'd watch the Vikings lose and we would just sit there and we would just have conversation. Just spend the afternoon, sometimes well into the afternoon, almost dinner time, just sitting around enjoying each other's company. I learned so much about what it means to, to be a pastor and a spouse at the same time from watching Jay and Marcy. They loved us and they made us better. And I know even in our church, Maisie was one of the, the, the young ladies singing this morning, my, my oldest daughter. I can pick out people in this room who have invested in her whether it was a D group leader or in the kids church stuff or, or just people who have just encouraged her. Thank you for doing things like that. That's the kind of relationships we're talking about. People who make you better. We need that person. We also need people who strengthen you spiritually. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have that person where you are, whenever you're around them, you feel like you are just closer to Jesus as a result of having been around them? Like life has a way of dulling that edge. And when we're around them, they kind of sharpen it and they call us back to God's purpose and back to what Jesus has in store for us. And they just, it's a mutual thing. It's not just one-sided. It's this side-to-side, face-to-face sort of thing. This is one of those, those relationships that you just, you crave. And I know it's a generality, but a lot of times we, uh, I think we've found that, that women do a great job of, of building those relationships face-to-face, just having conversation. For guys, that can be a little different. For guys, we tend to build them, again, this is a generality, shoulder-to-shoulder, doing something together. Maybe it was a, a, a team sport or, or building something. Or I, I think of the, the, the four guys that I can think of they were ones that we've, we've done life together. We've gone through some hard stuff together. We've, we've, we've been in ministry together. Those are the kinds of things that, that, that we need. Those people who sharpen us and keep our edge sharped, sharpened. They call out our purpose and call us back to Jesus. So we need people who will make us better. People who will sharpen us spiritually. And the third, we need people who can speak truth. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This is that friend or trusted relationship that you have with somebody who they love you, they care about you, they're going to invest in you, they're going to encourage you. They just aren't that impressed with you. And that's good because they're not going to try to flatter you and they're just going to be honest with you. This is the person who can tell you, no, that idea is not good. Do not do that. I can think of the, the <laughs> in fact, Jay, Bar- Jay the, one of the guys I was talking about just a minute ago, he used to say, I don't know, Dust. And I knew that was time to shut up. 
people who can tell you no. Who is it? Now, we have to be careful with this, right? Like, this has to be truly a relationship that is built on trust. This isn't just, I'm going to go up to a random stranger and tell them things. We need these relationships, though. We don't need to be flattered. We need somebody who will be honest with us because they care about us, they love us, and they want God's best for us. And so these three types of relationships we see in the Proverbs, someone to make you better, someone to strengthen you spiritually, and someone who can speak the truth, we need those in our lives. But we also need to flip that script and we need to be that for others. See, you need to have those relationships where you're making somebody better. It may be the same person. Who are you making better by that relationship? Who are you strengthening spiritually? We talk as a church about wanting to be for the one, for the person who is far from God, who doesn't yet have a relationship with him. And to do that, we as individuals have to be for the one and and investing intentionally into people's lives to strengthen them spiritually, pointing them to Jesus. And who in your life are you the one who can speak truth because you love them and care about them and there's this trust? If you want to go deeper with these three types of relationships, this is just extra credit for those of you who like to to go above and beyond. You can actually find these three types of relationships in the Old Testament with King David and in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. And I find this fascinating because so often we think, well, David is a king and Paul is the like Lone Ranger apostle. They don't need anybody. They absolutely did. For example, for David, Samuel... Samuel was the prophet who was supposed to anoint the next king. David's just a shepherd boy. He goes to David's family and he sees all the brothers. That's not the next king. That's not the next king. He finally gets to David, the little shepherd boy. And he says, this is the next king. David didn't even see that in himself. But Samuel made him better. He lifted him up. And when we think of Paul, Paul, I I especially think of Paul as a lone ranger, mostly because when we get to the part in Paul's letters in the New Testament where it's lists of names, we skip it because we have no idea who these people are. Those are Paul's people. Barnabas. Paul goes to to the, the, the leaders of the church and they don't trust that he is actually a follower of Jesus. And Barnabas vouches for him. He says, no, no, no. God has met him and changed him made him better. So you can find those and you can do that on extra credit if you want. We don't have time to walk through all of those, but it's, it's interesting to see that we can find it throughout. So we need to walk with intention. Who were you walking with? Number two, we need to walk with others. The most obvious of things, but also one that might be a little dif- difficult. And what I mean is that we must be present I will stand here and say I'm the worst at this because I can sit down when I get home after a long day and pull this thing up and I can just scroll for hours. My family's there. I'm physically there, but I ain't there. We have to be present. Your presence communicates your priorities each and every time. And that hurts. That hurts. We have to be present with those that we care about. We have to, if you want a meaningful relationship, you have to be present. In your notes on the the notes handout that you were given, there there are some circles, blank circles there. And this is for you to fill out. You may put in some different things. And this this is my chicken scratch, if you can read that. Uh, And what you do is you put your most intimate relationship in the middle. For me, that's my family. And then you work your way out 
going from the most intimate relationship and working your way out. And as you get outside here, it starts to become less about an intimate relationship and more about a functional relationship. For some of you, you only know me and I only know you because of my role here at the church. That's a functional relationship. That doesn't mean we don't care about each other. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. But the most intimate to more functional, more out, outer circle there, and we keep, you could keep working your way out. But here's what I have found in my own life and I think in, in for others. Oftentimes, because we like to be known and we are just because of our culture, known by what we do, we allow those functional relationships to take the place of those intimate relationships. And so we begin to lean into the ones on the the outside because we like the way it makes us feel and we tend to neglect the ones in the middle. But this is a really dangerous thing because those most intimate relationships and the functional ones are very different. Here's what I mean. Something happens to me this afternoon. There will be a job listing for an associate pastor at this wonderful church in Hutchinson, Kansas called Inspire. And within hopefully a couple weeks, maybe a month, Somebody else will be hired and life will go on. But if something happens to me today, that group right there, it's not the same, is it? So we have to be intentional. This is why intentionality is so important. See, here's the thing. At some point, we have to take some action because you can have this and you can fill it out and you can look at it and then, okay, that's great, but you have to take action. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from a message that I've ever heard, I've remembered it for years. It's from my pastor in Texas, Pastor Joe Carmichael. He's the son of an Alabama peanut farmer and he had a way with words. He said it this way, good intention without action equals squat. That's pretty simple, right? Good intention without action equals squat. We We can talk about it, we can look at it, but if we aren't willing to take action, to be intentional, We're just wasting our time. We have to be willing to do this. God walked with Adam and Eve. Can you picture that? The creator of the universe walking with Adam and Eve. We see it with Jesus. He walks with his disciples. And when he walks with his disciples, he doesn't tell them, read this book or read this pamphlet about me. He says, follow me. Yeah, we need to be in the word, absolutely. But Jesus calls us to follow him, not just study him, to follow him. There's a presence, a relationship, a relational thing. And so I think for each one of us, there are three different things that we can take as action steps. For some of us, we have relationships we need to lean into. Those, those relationships that, that maybe we've, we realize that there is more that we need to do there to try to, to invest in that. Lean into that. There are some relationships we need to let lie. That doesn't mean it's a bad one. It doesn't mean we're, we don't care about it. It just means that that's a healthy relationship and, and it's good where it is. And then we have relationships and you know the ones that we just need to let go of. Those things that are just not pointing us in the right direction those relationships. So lean into, let lie, and let go of. We have to walk with intention. Walk with others. But my biggest hope is as you answer the question of who are you walking with, that you will, number three, walk with Jesus. And no, that's the church answer. Well, walk with Jesus. 
We've been in Genesis and we've looked at this idea of God walking with Adam and Eve. I had a friend ask me this week, why did God do that? Why did God walk with Adam and Eve? And the only answer I could come up with was love. Because we have a God who is love. And we read in the Gospel of John, John 3.16, that we have a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, who, as we read the rest of the Gospel of John, loved his friends. We see it time and time again. Jesus, he turns water into wine at a wedding, a family, a, a community thing. Yes, he taught the crowds, but he healed individuals. He spent time with, laughed with, cried with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, his dear friends. He invested in his 12 disciples, and in particular into three. And he never seems rushed. He never seems stressed because he had this intentionality in the way he interacted with them. See, what is so great to me and so amazing to me is what Jesus calls us. We find this in John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I'm gonna work backwards. Verse 14, right before that. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus wants to call you his friend. If we will just do what he calls us to do, he wants to call you his friend. In verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, which is exactly what Jesus did for you, his friends. And we're going to remember that as we receive communion together today. And I'll give you more instructions on that in just a minute. But it's a reminder that Jesus calls us friends, that he loves us so much that he would not allow even death to separate us from him. That he made a way that we could be forgiven and made right, reconciled with God. But we need to be able to walk with Jesus because if you've been in a relationship for two minutes, you know that relationships are difficult. Some of you know the hurt of a relationship. I think all of us know the hurt, but some of you know it really severely. And it causes us to, to, to not be in relationship with people that we probably should. We withdraw, we push away because we've been hurt because somebody treated us wrong, or maybe we've hurt somebody else. And we need God's love to to fill us, his spirit to fill us and to forgive us so that we can walk in the purpose and plan he has for us. And part of that purpose and plan is in relationships. To be able to love others the way God calls us to love others requires walking daily with Jesus. To be in relationship with him. He can heal those hurts. He can heal those wounds. When you have felt like you didn't matter, like you're, you're not worthy of relationship, that is a lie. And God calls you friend. Jesus says you are his friend and he loves you. But I want to give us a very practical action step. I want you to pull out your phone. And I'm thankful that we don't have to use the number pad to text anymore. But I want you to think of a friend and I want you to text them. And what you're going to text them is simply, thanks for being a friend. Thanks. 
If you want to put more, that's fine. Sorry, I can't type and talk at the same time. And my guess is if some of us accidentally had our ringer still on, there would be little blings going on in this room. We have to be intentional. And I know that seems silly to text somebody. But we have to be intentional with our relationships. Otherwise, they're going to drift. And otherwise, we're going to find ourselves walking with people that we never really should have been walking with in the first place. Jesus calls you friend. And as he calls you friend, I think there's no greater way for us to remember that than by receiving communion together. And if you are um, uh, not a member of this church, you are welcome to receive communion if you're seeking to walk with Jesus. And what you're going to be invited to do in just a moment, we have four stations. We have two up front and we have two in the back. The gluten-free is over to my left. You're going to be invited to come and take the, the wafer representing the bread, reminding us of the bread, the body of Christ broken for us. And the juice in the cup reminding us of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus himself sat down and instituted this for us by sitting with his friends, even the one who is going to betray him. And he offers himself to you, his friends, to remember, to remember his love for you, to remember the sacrifice that was made, but also to remind us of who we are to him. The worship team is going to sing a song as, as we go, and I want to encourage you to let's join in and worship together as, as we do this. But we aren't going to come back at the end and, and all walk through this together. Uh, so you will need to, to, to receive those and, and to take them um, as, as the song is going on. But I want to encourage you, maybe you're here with your family or with a spouse or with a friend, or, or maybe you can go back to your seat and just kind of, kind of get in together and receive that together. I think this would be a great day to do something like that. But I want us to just spend a moment in prayer because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do more in us right now than we are aware of. And one of the prayers that we say around here every week, it's not magic words, it's a prayer of faith though. It's a prayer that says, God, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you've done what you've said you've done and that I am who you say that I am. And I want to follow you. So I want to invite each one of us, let's stand together. We're going to say this prayer together. For some of you, you are going to receive communion today for the first time as a follower of Jesus. Because you're going to say this prayer and you're going to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're all going to say this together. So would you repeat after me? Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each person here, that you would remind us of who you have called us to be. You would remind us of who you've called us to walk with. Thank you for calling us friends. Thank you for being the God who sees us, who knows us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can come and